0: Welcome to the Tokenomics DAO podcast, where we explore everything tokenomics related, ranging from deep dives on the tokenomics of the newest protocol to demystifying the nuance of building a successful token ecosystem. Our goal is to bring awareness to the importance of tokenomics and the crucial role it plays in defining the success of a protocol, helping make tokenomics relevant for everyone, builders and investors alike. I'm your host, Flo joined by my co-hosts, Jason and or Welcome to the podcast. Today, without Jason, we wanted to talk about <laughs> um, or we wanted to do an intro to tokenomics it kind of comes from that we've from many people have had the interest in the field. And they all said like, yeah, we're super interested, exciting what you're doing. But um, we don't understand really what this is all about. So I don't know. Are we like eighteen episodes in or something? Yep. Um, something like that. Yeah. So might be a good time to actually <laughs> define, or maybe not define, but talk about or give an intro to what this actually all is, and maybe pick a few of these people up that have gotten lost along the way. Yeah. So I guess we wanted to do that intro to tokenomics or basics of tokenomics. I don't know, something like that. Um, anyway, so maybe let's start with what it is, right? Um, it's like, you can pretty easily spot that it's a mix of token and economics. So I guess those two things brought together, I guess the, the economics of tokens yeah. and um, like economics also like concerns mainly supply and demand but more things than that i guess this, this tokens are similar right we have kind of the the mechanisms of different blockchain protocols or applications that are on top of um blockchains and um with these tokenomic economics we try to define how they i guess interact or work and what the role of the token plays in that whole whole thing right yeah. and
1: think with uh i think with economics in general it's always very important to uh remember that it's um it is it it is definitely studied like a science but it's very it's a lot about behavior uh, studying behavior of people and so it's not as hard of a science as physics or math where you're like uncovering you know laws of the universe uh in a way in physics um and you're just finding the tools to describe them. Like in, in behavioral sciences, it's very much about try, you're trying to understand why people do stuff and you're trying to push them or you know, influence them to go one way or the other, which is maybe more favorable for the, for the organization or for the country, the state, whatever, than the other thing. But it's a very, it's a, I want to say it's an art as much as it's a science, right? Because this is, this is very difficult to, to nail down in formulas um, and so yeah I think also so similarly in tokenomics right uh, we we try to use tokens to create outcomes favorable outcomes for everybody but in some in some projects it works well some it doesn't <laughs> and so and we study that and we try to increase the odds
0: yeah 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 I think that's that's good yeah and I think I mean throughout this um podcast we should also make sure that we go through the terminology because I often think we don't do that. So maybe for once in this episode, we can, we can do that. Maybe talk about uh, briefly explain um, certain things like staking or a smart contract. I don't know yeah. if we want to go that deep, but yeah, I think it's, it's a lot of that. So to, to maybe start with an example of what tokenomics would be, um, would be that you might look at a, a blockchain like Bitcoin and you would describe how the Bitcoin token is designed, right? And the Bitcoin token is is super simple in the way they've done it. It has a limited supply. like only 21 million will ever be mined. Then there's certain rules on how new uh, bitcoins come into circulation, right? That goes via mining. So somebody has to expend energy and solve some uh, math problems with that um, with a computer. And then we'll um, hopefully be rewarded some of these bitcoins. And these, what these miners do when they've solved that problem, they would, yeah, hash certain transactions that members on the network have done. And by that, adding value to the network, right? So they add value by hashing a bunch of transactions that have happened. Um, So I send money to Lovis, Lovis might send some to Jason, and all of that we're going to store on the blockchain and the miners by securing that they get rewarded for it with these with these tokens. And then they have this interesting mechanism which is called the Bitcoin halving where every four years this supply that is paid out for the mining of one block um, is halved, right? So it started with 50 and then four years later it went to 25, 12 and a half, you get the idea. And now we're at six six 6.25 or something like that. Yeah, and
1: is paid for every block, right? For
0: every successfully
1: mined block. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so the Yeah. Block comes yeah. So
0: every ten block, minutes. But
1: every,
0: every ten minutes. Yeah. So actually, like for Bitcoin, it pretty much is a formula, right? Um, and that's something that's interesting in when you compare it to like normal economics, right? Because in with tokens, you have this. Uh, blockchain, smart contract, consensus mechanism where people agree on something. And in the case of Bitcoin, they agreed on exactly this supply and distribution mechanism. They all say, um, well, every 10 minutes, we're going to mine a block and a block will contain a certain number of transactions. And whoever mines that block will get uh, the current amount of Bitcoin that is paid out. um, And that will decrease over time. Every four years, it will have until it reaches in the year 2,140 or something, it reached this this uh, this maximum of 21 million. So that's actually hard coded, and everybody knows that it's going to be that. And if you participate in the network, you agree that this is the this is the way that it is, right? And that kind of is what makes Bitcoin so interesting that there is not some central authority that could just decide to create a little bit more of it. Um, and can just like keep it that way, right? It just stays that way. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of I guess like a really basic under, uh, example of how you would describe, um, the tokenomics yeah. of a protocol. And then there's like things in between um, to determine like how many of these tokens are currently in circulation and how many will be made available in the future. And that's something we can we can go into. Uh, later on, but yeah, I think that's that's at a really basic level, is is what this is about, right?
1: Yeah. So, so maybe we can um, <clears throat> use this example really quick and and explain some terminology. So we have supply, right? Total supply, circulating supply. Um, what other supplies do we have? <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it, there's like this.
1: The terms that are often used interchangeable, but they actually have slightly different meanings. So maybe we can just poke into that really quick. So the, the total supply of all Bitcoins that will ever be is 21 million, right? Um, yeah. The circulating supply. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. The circulating supply is all the Bitcoins that are currently held in, let's say, active wallets, right? So Let me just say
0: like they have been mined. The ones that okay. have been mined.
1: That's true. They have been mined. However, then there's also some that have been lost, right? That somebody forgot their password. But would they still be considered circulating supply?
0: Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Because we we don't know for sure. Maybe somebody's going to find the password. So unless we know for certain that it's currently not circulating because they're maybe in other blockchains locked in a smart contract and only released in a year or two, then they don't count. They, they will count towards the circulating supply. So with Bitcoin, I think that's like 19 million. Um, and that shows us that actually the majority, the large majority of the supply is already out there in circulation, yeah. right? And so 2 million is just left and that will be mined in the next 100 years or something. Yeah. 120, yeah.
1: And then the then there's a difference. So there's this other term, right? Um, fully diluted market cap. Or like market cap, right? Those are two also two different things. Um, so the market capitalization is circulating supply t- times token price, right? So then you get it. A-
0: yeah, that's like normal corporations, right? So if you look yeah. at Apple, you would take the current share price mm-hmm. and multiply that by all the shares that Apple has out in the market, right? All the shares outstanding, and that would be their market cap.
1: And then there's a slightly different metric that's the fully diluted market cap. So in case of Bitcoin, it would be price of token, but now times the 21 million. So all the tokens there will ever be, correct?
0: Yes, yeah. And, and, and that's something I don't think this really exists with like traditional corporations because even though a lot of them create new shares, they don't do that algorithmically. And in the, in the crypto space, Many do that, right? So with Ethereum, they have this certain inflation of 1% uh, to 2% every year. And uh, other blockchains have that as well. And um, yeah, B- Bitcoin also releases a certain amount of tokens through this mining every year. So then- yeah.
1: some, some other projects, yeah. like even if they're not- So this is another term. Ethereum and Bitcoin are L1 protocols, right? They're layer ones. So when we say L1, that means they're the base layer that other people use to build on or transact on. Um, But smaller protocols or even DAOs can also keep, like they can mint token and they can put some of it kind of in cold storage. So it's not really circulating. It has yet to be released to the market. But then when you look at these rates at which they release them, you always wanna keep in mind this, these market cap and um, fully diluted market cap comparison, because if the if the um, release of the token is very quickly, then that means a lot of buyers have to come in to buy it up. Otherwise, the price of the token in nominal terms and dollar terms would most likely go down. So when you then see, yeah. okay, this this for example, this project is growing at let's say twenty percent per year. That means you know they're creating a lot of value. They're having of customers or whatever whatever it is that they're selling or buying or whatever um t- growing at 20 per year but if they if they and you look at the tokenomics and they are planning to release way more than 20 percent of new tokens into the market then that might be an indicator that that could have a negative repercussion for the price in dollar terms now whether or not the dollar price of the token matters is a completely different story this is just one thing to to look at when you do analysis
0: yeah so it's like with bitcoin you can you can you can see that right so it's currently i hope i got the numbers right the market cap is like some 379 million and oh billion probably billion, <laughs> <It's> billion <laughs> 379 billion <laughs> and um that's what the market cap with the circulating supply of 19 million tokens times the current price we look what is that? 19,000, right? So if you uh, multiply these two, you get to 379 billion. And then the fully diluted valuation means that at the time when Bitcoin will have released all of its tokens, so the the supply will be 21 million in circulation. If it had, if we were still trading at a price of 19,000, then the fully diluted valuation would be 417 billion. So that's like a, a small increase or like yeah. a comparatively not so high increase. But what you'll see is that there's plenty of tokens out there that have a large difference between that. And that means that they have to kind of like grow because through some mechanism, they'll be introducing a lot, a lot of tokens into the market in the coming years. And those tokens is supply introduced, right? So there's new tokens coming out of the market and someone needs to buy them or else we'll have too much supply and that will drive the price down right so um then if you're evaluating a project you'll have to look at is like this is this demand for these tokens coming from somewhere from what would it come and and that's really what we think at least tokenomics is um to a degree right evaluating where that demand would come from and you can see that from two different perspectives right there could be investors looking at that but there could also be builders who currently build their own token and they want want to know um how much they would have to grow their business like whatever they do maybe they they have like a, a media publishing channel maybe they have a nice podcast whatever they might have but they would have to grow their users their paying users their revenue all of that stuff to fit into that into these new tokens that they're creating, so that people are actually go and buy those tokens, um, and they won't have too many of them on the market to, yeah, crash the price perhaps because of an oversupply. Yeah,
1: yeah I mean, um, yeah. analyzing analyzing demand is probably one of the most challenging aspects of this, right? Because I mean, the supply of the token can be usually pretty uh, analytical about you can use um, formulas to release them or, you know, certain actions trigger a certain amount of release. But simulating demand or thinking that through, who would want to buy it and at what price point, that's that is very challenging. And in fact, if you can come up with a definitive demand model, <laughs> then you'll be a Warren Buffett type <laughs> investor. Like you'll do very well.
0: Oh, even better. I think even that better. will be the that's the holy grail if you can figure out <laughs> how demand yeah. How to predict demand? Yeah, and I so mean, this, <clears throat> yeah.
1: This goes back to my initial my um, comment in the beginning. It's a lot about behaviors, right? So, demand is very yeah. behavior driven. It's very incentive driven, um, and it can something can, you know, there, there can be a lot of hype, and so everybody buys it, and then the next day the hype is over, and then nobody wants it anymore, and you're like, whoa, what happened? um you yeah. don't really have any sustainable demand for your token, but you sure have maybe some some dank memes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think like if you look at shares right shares of a corporation you buy a like a piece of ownership in a business like you buy a piece of amazon if you buy a share um and that doesn't really give you anything other than telling you that you you own that business right you own a piece of that business and shares in itself, you can't do a lot with it. You just can You can just hold them, you can sell them. And they maybe pay a dividend um, and corporations can buy them back. So those are kind of like the features that a business would have with this with their share mechanism, with this stock mechanism. With tokens, there's a lot more you can do. And that's why we even think about attempting to predict demand, right? Because like, it, it'd be hard to predict the demand for Amazon stocks it be very much linked to how the business performs like how much revenue it generates how much profit it generates how it how it expands what their vision is what their um, competitive advantage and and I don't know lots of other things you need to look into product line yeah of yeah but with with tokens there's this other thing that comes into place so maybe let's talk about these uh these smart contracts for just a a little bit right <clears throat> so A smart contract would be a piece of code that similar to these transactions that we've talked about on the Bitcoin blockchain, right? um, They would be on the Ethereum um, blockchain or on another smart contract blockchain. But there you could code some logic, right? You could code in some logic that would say, if you send funds to this particular address, then it will always do this. It will always, like, let's say Jason would send money to this particular wallet. It would always uh, send half of it to Lovis and half of it to myself. So you could code that logic into the blockchain um, and call it a smart contract. So then we could all kind of trust that piece of code because it is um, backed by this consensus of all the different nodes that back this network. So if I send a transaction there, I'll know it always will do that. And if you want to change that code, it will get a new address. So you'll have to send it somewhere else. And with that uh, programming logic, that makes this whole thing really interesting, I guess, because then now you can program mechanisms into the tokens. And that's what really makes them different to shares, right? So with shares, again, you can only do this like basic things, but with tokens, you could have something where, uh, I think ThorChain does it, Thorchain is this decentralized um, cross chain exchange, right so you go there and you can swap Bitcoin for ethereum and they've built this uh, piece of software and they have their own token called rune, and whenever somebody deposits collateral for these for this exchange, so you put some money into into something, then that needs to be backed by a certain amount of rune tokens, right so if I put in $10 worth of Bitcoin, I need to also deposit a certain amount. Maybe it's also 10, maybe it's $20. I forgot. Um, I'll link the article down below so you can read it up. But there's like, let's say it's 20. So you, put it, you have to put in $20 worth of Rune to back that. And that is programmed into such a smart contract um, saying that this is the way this will behave. And this, of course, makes it I won't say it makes it predictable, but it makes it like a little bit easier to get a feeling for um how demand for the token would behave if we know how um how many tokens are locked up in this exchange. And this is, yeah, there's like all sorts of different examples where um where people have created these smart contracts that that do certain things, right? So there's there's communities out there where I think friends with benefits where they have um, this uh, model, it's a gated community, right? So you can only join their discord and discuss stuff if you own 50 tokens. I don't know how many it is, but you own 50 tokens. And then I think what they do every year, they increase that amount of tokens, right? So you will, if you wanna stay part of the community, then the next year you will have to own 70 tokens. So that will slowly, if the community stays the same size, it will increase the amount of tokens that are locked up by people to be part of the community every year. And I think that's that's like an, an interesting mechanism that in that way doesn't necessarily exist in the shares world. And that's what makes, to me, like tokenomics interesting or more interesting because you, yeah, you also look into these different mechanisms that exist, right?
1: Well, there's so many different applications, right? I mean... <clears throat> It's a there's almost an infinite uh, possibility. Like we've only probably seen some of the early applications of tokens, and I think that um, the, you had a interesting conversation with uh, Pantera Capital, right? And they they said, what did they say again? That was I thought it was a pretty cool quote about technology.
0: Ah, and- uh, yeah, that I think they said something along the lines of, in the beginning, they thought uh, tokens would just be like this copy and paste model where every everything would do the same model, like with shares, but then they figured that, um, yeah, it's more like innovates the same way or as quickly as the protocols themselves innovate, right? So people come up with all sorts of, because of these programmability, because of these smart contracts, they come up with all sorts of mechanisms that you build into what your token does and how it behaves much more sophisticated than what you do with shares.
1: So that makes it definitely very fascinating to study and to also not just study but you know help influence and help build uh, the cool next thing, I guess. Um, yeah. Let's see. We so- were just talking <clears throat> about chain and Rune. What are we gonna- Maybe let's go through
0: like the we talked about the supply, but I think we missed a few pieces of that supply. Um, so on the supply side, we talked about you know how much will be supplied, how much is circulating, the market cap, the fully diluted market cap, um, these different parameters on how to evaluate tokens quantitatively, right? So you can, look, you can start by doing that. And it's really easy. Just go, You can go to coingecko.com and you just search for a token. And if you look at Bitcoin, you'll see right up the top, it shows the market cap, the fully diluted, they call it fully diluted valuation. I think fully diluted market cap is actually a much better term because it just makes sure that everybody really gets that it's the fully diluted market cap. Um, and then there's like circulating supply, total supply, max supply. So it's an easy, quick thing you could look at and find out and just go to one of these websites and, and and check that out. And then <clears throat> there's also a bit more, there's inflation, right? So it's kind of like To me, it always is this how many new tokens come into existence or how many new tokens does the protocol create every year? So Ethereum creates um, new tokens every year. They have like a a schedule for that. It's also programmed how much it's going to be and and you can can look that up. Um, And so, yeah, they have something for that. And then there's emission, so inflation will be familiar because you know it from the real economy, right? So if the central banks, this if they create more dollars, euros, whatever, there'll be more in circulation and inflating um, the the supply. And so then there's also something that we call these emissions. So basically <clears throat> there's been tokens that have been created that might've been locked up. So they're not really in circulation. Um, but they count towards this total supply, right? So they're adding to this circulating supply um, could be emissions. And often when a token launches, people would, and that's nothing specific to tokens, that's also something that corporations do when they pay out employees or hand out tokens, they add these like vesting schedules. Investing means they give you some tokens, but they say, uh, here are the tokens, but you won't have access to them for the next um, year. That will be called; they're they're going to be locked for a year, and then after that, they will gradually unlock. Every year, you'll get uh, 30% of them for the next three years or something, and and those would be then the emissions. So then they would slowly unlock and be introduced to the market gently, so that you don't crash it with too much supply, and that the business actually has the chance to create demand for them, right?
1: Um, yeah, and in the case of employees, the vesting has another purpose, um, it, to keep you engaged, right? They want, you, they want mm. to reward you with tokens, but they want you to earn them over time, right? Um, and then there's another small concept that fits in the beginning. So you said, you know, the, say the employee gets their allotment of tokens, and it said in the vesting schedule w- when they start unlocking and this initial period where you don't get any, where none are unlocked, is called the cliff. So there's a there's yeah. a vesting cliff, and then after that, you know, you get that's why the graph goes up, that's why it's a cliff. <laughs> um, then then you start uh, vesting tokens. And then usually, I mean, so yeah. when a corporation, if you work for a startup, they have a similar concept with stock options. Um, And then typically after the first year is over after that, your, your options best monthly. Uh, But with tokens, it could be anything. It could be by the minute, could be by the month, could be by the year. Like it doesn't, you know, it it can be set flexibly.
0: Yeah. 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 So I was like, whenever I get into such a new topic and you just get confused by all these namings and then every second person calls it differently. Right. So some people might call it like, I don't know, they, they might call the emissions differently. They might call it inflation. Some might call it inflation. And uh, then pe- some people, they don't call it cliffs and vesting. They call it um, oh, the locked period and the unlocked period. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that can often be very confusing. But in most cases, that's really what they, they mean the same thing at the end of the day if you figure out what it actually is. So it's yeah. this, like, how do the tokens get out into circulation over time? Yep. And um, so then, yeah, I guess there's one one more thing that's important, and that's the burn. Um, so similar, t- I guess, like, <clears throat> with shares, the similar mechanism would be almost a buyback, right? So if shares buy, if corporations buy back shares, they're not, Really burned, but they don't count towards the shares shares outstanding, right? So they're not counted in any of these uh, metrics like earnings per share, things Mm -hmm. like that, right? So in in this case here, though, it's like they really are removed completely out of circulation, and they can't be they can't be retrieved again. Whereas I think a corporation could at any point decide to issue new shares again, right? But here, it's really like they, what they do, they pick an address in their network that does not have, where, where nobody knows the private key to um, or generate one. And then, yeah, the, the tokens get sent there. So they sit there, and, but nobody can sign transactions to get them out there again. And that's yeah. just kind of, they're taken out of this circulation uh, and can be burned. So this can be a mechanism to reduce supply So a protocol could maybe do this automatically, and that's what Ethereum did a while ago, like last year, this time I think it was, where they um, announced their um, implementation pack. EIP is what it's called, 1559, and in that they introduced that with every transaction that they do, they're gonna burn a certain number of tokens. And um, yeah, there's a nice website we showed that in one of the earlier podcasts called i think watch it burn or something where you can see how many tokens are burnt and sent to this like dead wallet taken out of circulation basically reducing the supply um
1: and then but so that's yeah, so that's something yeah right so the, the and the opposite of burning is minting right? so um,
0: oh yes yeah, yeah
1: often yeah often there's a mechanism that creates Tokens newly, and then that's called minting. You know, just like yeah. how the treasure, the U.S. Treasury mints silver dollars. <laughs> they put, you know, the yeah, metal yeah. on the thing, and they run it like over with the coins. With, yeah, yeah. They, they create coins. Right, that's where the name comes from. Um,
0: yeah, the the places where they do that is actually
1: called the mint. mint. Yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah, we have like the a mint in in perth or in canberra or i don't know where yeah
1: um to create coins yeah so if inflation emissions burn and minting um, and then you know as to why you would want to burn or mint i mean that's there's many reasons right many different mechanisms and today is less about that and more about just i think explaining the the terminology
0: it'd be Um, like like you know general monetary policy It depends. Like if your token price goes down, you don't want it to go down because you do see like your demand is not quite there where you wanted it to be, you might want to take some tokens out of supply to counter inflation. So all that stuff that central banks are doing, maybe. Um yeah, protocols, of course, can do as well. Um and can get involved in, right? So that's why they would want to do that stuff really in a nutshell, right? Without getting into it, (laughs) like you said.
1: Political reasons, yeah. Um, And then, so So important point, right? So the nice thing with uh, token ecosystems, usually these things are very transparent because they happen on chain, so they're there and verifiable for everybody. Um, And that is a nice segue to the next piece, which is uh, distribution. Um, Distribution at a at a base level basically just means who received how many tokens and maybe at what time right and um this is uh, many many protocols and many projects do a really good job explaining that and make it very transparent and some some could maybe do a little bit better um but typically you can look at the documentation and uh study that you know for a given protocol and look at the dist- token distribution and you could find out okay the team receive this many,
0: I don't
1: know, maybe that's another category for founders or investors or, you know, all these different or community treasury, like there might be any number of different categories, but you can then find out exactly uh, who holds how many tokens. Um, And then uh, something that we explained earlier, like the vesting or lockup period might also be explained um, as part of this distribution plan. Just so that people can have an idea, not only who owns it, but also when can they trade them. When when do they become part of uh, circulation?
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's often like you find a pie chart. I've um Misari often has that kind of information, or their own documentation. If there if there's like, a half good protocol, they'll have their distribution. And by the way, it's also often called allocation. I think. Um, and so, yeah, they, they have kind of that distribution allocation scheme in a pie chart somewhere on their, in their documentation. And, and then there's like different ways to do that even. Right. So that's also an aspect of like tokenomics. Do you want to, um, give it all to your investors, keep it for the team and only give very few to, uh, the open market, right. So that it can be traded. Um, or do you want to maybe do something where you like airdrop all tokens to, um, maybe past users of your application or a protocol, right? So that's also something that have been explored. And for Bitcoin's case, it was just like whoever got aware of Bitcoin back then in um 2008, 2009. Anyway, so whoever got aware of that and got a computer and started mining. Um, yeah, they got rewarded Bitcoins, right? So it's like everybody's fair game. You just had to know about it, had to be able to set it up and then you were theoretically able to get Bitcoins. Yep. Um, Yeah, so that's also different. I think also like from an investor's and builder's perspective, this is something to be really careful about and look into to find out think through, like, what do you want to do? Do you want to like make a lot of money fast or do you want to build something maybe sustainable um, and distribute your tokens wide to a lot of people? Um, yeah. And then I guess there's also like the prices it's, it's, and that's the same with shares, right? Like pre IPO. Um, anybody can make a deal with a corporation. I mean, not, not we, but uh, any institutional investor um, can go in and get some cheap shares before they're offered on the market, and that's of course the same thing here, right? So prior to token launch, often VCs and investors they'll get in at yeah much lower evaluations um, of what the token is launched at, right? So then you can you can have like they they might have um, bought tokens for 50 cents per token and then when the token launches it launches at a dollar and 50 so then they already have 3 x by the time the token launches and if they don't have a vesting anything that prevents them from selling they often will start taking profits quickly and sell out so this has happened in a lot of um protocols where uh like Kobe does some had some nice pieces on that where he went through a couple of protocols that where that has occurred, right? Where investors that have gotten in early have then like continuously started to sell because they had failed to set up proper vesting schedule that prevented them from selling, um, right? Yeah, and, then, and
1: like, <clears throat> then you often see price starts that uh, blip up and then they bleed and bleed and bleed, and bleed <laughs> for months because, um, and you're like, who's still selling? The price is already garbage but (laughs) so many people get in so early at such a low cost Um, they can still they're still selling at a profit right because the cost basis was just so low. yeah
0: Yeah, so that's also something really to keep in mind when you look at these tokens right try to find out like some will publish it some won't um but yeah i think it's it's good good to consider that um for sure, yeah, yeah. Um, um, that's,
1: so that was really good to discussion on distribution. Mm-hmm. Do we want to also, I guess, uh, jump back up a little bit more, right, because we had touched on Bitcoin, Ethereum. Um, you have Uniswap on there as a as an example, because I think it'll help us uh, dive into some other concepts that we also wanted to discuss.
0: Yeah, maybe we can. Um... You know, this this whole idea of that not only Bitcoin and Ethereum can have tokens. And I, I, of course, like many of you will know that. Um, but yeah, there's also applications that can be built with smart contracts on top of a layer one blockchain like Ethereum, right? So Ethereum provides this base layer, but then somebody can go and create an application on top and even create a token for that application that is like sitting on that layer one ethereum blockchain and one of these applications is uniswap and so it's a really simple concept they allow people to trade tokens so you can only ethereum tokens in this case so if you wanted to trade um tokens across blockchains that's where thor chain comes in but that's a lot more complicated in how it works but um Uniswap is this super simple thing. You could take um, the, like, let's say ETH, Ethereum, the Ethereum token, and you could trade that for USDC, which is like a US dollar uh, pegged stablecoin, and you could swap them. So let's say I wanted to turn my ETH into stablecoins. I could go to Uniswap and I could do that. pretty easily right and then they have some mechanisms in the background that that take care of that involving liquidity pools and fees that are paid towards the protocol and then uh yeah their own token is then that they've created the uni token that is then used to i think for governance mainly All right so they the the owners of that or the holders of that token they can decide how that treasury that treasury accumulates over uh, usage fees, right? So somebody who swaps tokens will have to pay a little bit into their treasury. And then the token holders of these uni tokens, they can then decide on on what to do with that, uh, with these tokens. Yeah. I guess that's kind of what this what this is, right? So it's not a layer one. This is it's also not a layer two, but it's like an application that sits on top of um layer one. It's basically it's a smart contract. Um
1: probably a cluster of smart contracts, huh? but the um, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but so uh, uniswap has is particularly useful because it has created deep pools of liquidity right for for any number, not any number, but for a lot of the ethereum tokens so it makes it easy to swap them there with very little slippage so two terms oh yeah okay liquidity you got to
0: explain (laughs) these (laughs) two
1: liquidity and slippage well liquidity means that there's lots of buyers and lots of sellers meeting at the at the right time basically so um, when a market is liquid that means you're gonna you can sell a large quantity of something um for for uh, for a fixed price that's transparent and it's known to you at the time of transaction if the market is illiquid then there's a price that you know you always only see so when you look at a, a stock market ticker or even the price of bitcoin it's always the last transaction right that's the price that you're currently looking at so that does not necessarily mean that your transaction even if it's just you know the next second after that last one that it goes through for the exact same price it does not mean that it might be higher it might be lower Right, and so if liquidity is poor, if if there's no liquidity, and then you know there's a price, okay, it says twenty thousand dollars, and then now you try to sell, and you get instead of twenty thousand, you get fifteen thousand dollars. Well, then there was really bad liquidity. That means there was no bids, right? Nobody was bidding to buy, Um, and maybe there was a few people bidding to buy, but they only wanted five dollars worth of Bitcoin, right? But you were selling. 50,000 dollars worth Bitcoin, well then the $5 bid is no good for you, right? Because um, you need like you know a bunch of these people, you need thousands of these to make up, um, to fill your, your offer, so to say. Um, and so there's this other word that I said, slippage is kind of expressed in that as well. So if you say, hey, I'm, I'm selling one Bitcoin, um, the last transaction price that's known to you is 20,000, and then you say push go, uh, sell now, and then it ends up selling for say nineteen thousand eight hundred and fifty-seven. Well, then that difference—I I should have picked an easier number. Say <laughs> uh, so it, it sold for nineteen thousand eight hundred dollars. So then the two hundred dollar difference, you could say, was slippage, right? So it it slipped um, lower in price than you were expecting. um Yeah, that correct yeah. me. was like, wrong yeah,
0: yeah like, and, and then like the deeper the liquidity. Uh, yeah, the lower the chance of that happening, I guess, is because you'll find more bids and ask to match your amount of trade. Or yeah. the, I guess, like the, not bids and ask in this case, but the algorithm, in the case of Uniswap, the automated market maker will um, match your trade. Um, for liquidity yeah, depending on the size that you have, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so instead of this, uh, these order books that you find in, exchanges i guess the automated market makers they've kind of solved this problem um, through liquidity pools so they basically um, get people to enter token as kind of as collateral and this always has to be a matched token pair so for example it has to be ethereum and um usdt or I, maybe let's say yeah. yeah and then usdc And uh, so then you enter, so you want to put 10,000 into this liquidity pool, that means you put $5,000 worth of Ethereum and $5,000 worth of um, USDC, right, and so now you're entering that as a match pair, and the automated market maker will then use this that you've kind of borrowed to them to help route transactions um, with high liquidity through, Um, and usually as a result, you are rewarded. For for providing this liquidity, you're rewarded with part of the transaction fees that these, uh, that Uniswap or some other places might generate from people um exchanging tokens. Um, so this is yeah. this is already getting pretty complex. Like now we're deep in DeFi territory. Um,
0: yeah, we can link this... something down below that explains automated market makers. There's some good videos out there. Yeah. Um, things like that. But I guess, um maybe we can then now have a look at demand Mm -hmm. of, of tokens. I mean, we, we went into it a little bit already, but like Uniswap and its deep liquidity is something like to complete, like the token aside. Right. But just seeing Uniswap as a product. So if you are a fund or somebody with a lot of money and you trade your money back and forth, like if you only have like, um, (laughs) $10 worth of ETH and you want to trade that for $10 of DAI, you don't have to worry that much about liquidity because like a thousand dollar pool will be pretty deep for the trade you want to do. But if you have larger amounts of money that you want to trade, um, the higher the risk that you're going to move the needle in terms of price and the, and the slippage, um, yeah, thing will kind of ruin, could, could possibly ruin your trade. So you want deep liquidity if you have a lot of money that you're trading around. And so Uniswap in providing that deep liquidity has kind of this competitive advantage, right? Because everybody knows the name, everybody's like people who are in in crypto, they've heard of it. And if they've ever traded some Ethereum tokens, it's highly likely that they've done it on Uniswap. And bigger trades will also get executed there because there's all this liquidity there on their their platform. And um, so that's kind of their... I guess, competitive advantage and having all that liquidity there will attract a lot of trades. So lots of people go there and trade and thus will pay fees. And these fees will accumulate in their treasury. Right. So, and, and that then kind of is revenue or yeah, to some degree also profit because Uniswap doesn't have a lot of expenses. Um, that would be to some degree profits for them. Right. Um, and That then, if you think of like, why would you buy Amazon? Because it's a great corporation that churns out a lot of profit, not to myself, but like they reinvest it. So in this case, yeah, this might also create demand for the uni token. So they have a token that allows you to help to govern their protocol. um, And you can buy that token and having a great product behind it, which Uniswap seems to be because it is the the largest, um, yeah, revenue generator or one of the largest out there um yeah you might want to buy that token because it gives you access to that so um yeah i think that's that's a pretty cool thing
1: not not investment advice do your own research
0: <laughs> of course yeah i mean that's, that's the don't, don't this, we have like this thing at the end of the podcast that says that <laughs> uh, yes we <laughs> well,
1: do. yeah but
0: um, it's exactly just, that
1: just goes to show that some tokens can be engineered to Try to capture value, right? So Uniswap clearly has created something that's that generates value for people because they want to exchange tokens. Great, right? and you want to do that with uh, minimal downside, and they have uh, done a pretty good job with that. So th- what they have is valuable. So if you can connect this valuable engine that turns out uh, revenue to a token, that that may be a good investment. That makes that makes logical sense, right? Without making any sort of recommendation specifically to Uniswap, this is just an example. Um, yeah. But so these um, this liquidity thing is fickle, right? So uh, during DeFi summer, I've uh, read many times that new protocols that launched, they would then create um, a liquidity pool on Uniswap or some other place uh, because they try to get people into their token. They try to make it easy for people to swap in and, and buy their tokens, essentially. Um, and often, like, but how did this work, right? So because they try to incentivize um people to get their token to even to even enter their tokens as collateral into a liquidity pool because that's the only way that uh seamless swapping can even happen in the first place right so that so like behind the Uniswap, there's people who are kind of going deeper and they're providing liquidity to the exchange um but then that has problems because investors will only give their collateral to liquidity pools that pay them really high rewards, right? So then it becomes like this beauty pageant of like, oh, this this place is paying 300%, this one's paying 200, maybe, oh, no, it's only 30. Well, as soon as it's only 30, yeah. I'm definitely gonna pull all my money out and go take it somewhere else, right? Um, and I think, so this is what I'm, I'm. all the stuff I'm saying is trying to be the segue to this concept of uh, protocol on liquidity, which I think is, Uh, supposed to be the solution for that um but
0: so how does protocol on liquidity work yeah this is like almost like another whole thing it's quite complicated i've written about it in like i wrote a piece on climate and i think there i've covered it to some degree so um what it yeah what it is is that they circumvent this mechanism right um and where liquidity hops from uh, protocol to protocol following these token incentives. So they would they would give out tokens and say, hey, you get our native protocol tokens if you provide liquidity to us. Um, but then they would let the users own that liquidity. So when they stopped the tap, like they ran out of their own native tokens to distribute to people, um, the people with that liquidity, they would go off to a different protocol and do it there, the same thing. And so what they said why don't we design a mechanism where we keep that, right? So in, in, in their case, then they offer their own token in reward for a payment in a token that they want to own liquidity in, right? So in the case of uh, Olympus DAO, uh, they do that, they've pioneered that, they collect DAI. So someone who provides them DAI gets discounted ohm um, tokens and that way they can collect their own tokens and then they also have this mechanism on the other side where they um incentivize ohm holders to stake ohm because they have a very high inflation so if you don't stake you're going to your share is going to get diluted and inflated away right because there's so many new tokens introduced to the market and if you don't stake basically you lose uh you lose money so they incentivize with that they incentivize people to stake their tokens so then they have die and they have a staked Ohm, both of them, right? They have that in their in their treasury. They have access to that. And then they can just place that on exchanges like Uniswap um, and provide their own liquidity for these trades, right? So they can open up a pool with DAI and Ohm or Klima and USDC or whatever. They can provide that to these exchanges. And then if people trade their tokens, they will get rewarded for it, right? So they will own their own treasury and put it out on these exchanges like um, uniswap or sushi swap and if someone trades they will collect the fee and then actually the fee collection for some or for people trading their tokens will actually be yeah part or one of the revenue streams for them and um, yeah that way they can actually create deep liquidity between their token and another token and um, yeah also profit from it so own it right so that's an an interesting like another interesting mechanism i guess in in what you could do with with these smart contracts in um in in designing it and and therefore perhaps creating demand for the token because people would look at the at the mechanism and think like oh this is quite interesting if this works out and if this happens then their token will will go up because of that um yeah so that's I guess another another one of these uh, sort of yeah things that can be implemented.
1: Yeah, um, I mean it's it's a it's a really smart idea, right? So rather than incentivizing token owners, token holders to go and provide liquidity, you're saying no. You guys just stake, and um, actually the protocol itself will provide the liquidity and the benefits in a way, like indirectly get redistributed to token holders anyway right because it it uh it just makes because it's just revenue for the protocol so they're um and it solves that problem with the kind of disappearing liquidity as as investors get bored or they don't feel incentivized anymore and you know the next guy comes and pays them 10 percent more for the liquidity so then they they will wander off so that's definitely a smart yeah so then like
0: yeah. So like I guess like in the demand space, um what else is there? Like that that would be kind of the things to look out for, right? What mechanisms are there that um impact supply and demand? Like something that has, has been programmed into smart contracts that that you could observe when you look at a token or a project. Then maybe also like the utility. Like there's interesting projects like Chainlink. Um which is an Oracle provider. So that means they provide outside information into the blockchain. And you can't just do that. That needs specific mechanisms. I'm not going to go into the details there, but let's say they provide weather information for like, if it rains in Sydney, they were going to pay Lovis out some ETH. That pretty, yeah. a pretty good bet this year because it's raining a lot. So yeah, uh, <laughs> let's say someone has programmed that, you would need to trust that source in telling you that it's raining, right? So if Lovis would manipulate that source, he could manipulate that, he'll get all the pain. And so I guess, yeah, that's something um, this this Oracle provider does. And in order to use their Oracle, you need their link token. So you need to use that link token to to feed, feed that. So their link token has a real utility, right? So it's like... Um, It's like you had, like Amazon would issue a token that you could use to access certain functionalities on their AWS. So you could execute one hour of 10 gigabyte compute um, for three tokens. So that's kind of what they're doing here. So really the token is this access to their API.
1: Yeah. I mean, Amazon just uses the US US dollar token, right, mostly? Same, yeah. Same idea.
0: He's backed by guns, yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs>
1: um. But yeah, the. Uh. Yeah. Utility, staking. I think you've touched on staking before. Um. But maybe yeah. we can. Maybe we can add some more color to it. So. The. The base idea, original idea of staking, was. Um, proof of stake is an alternative to. For, to secure a network, right? So each of these blockchain networks needs to be secured. There needs to be nodes, which are essentially independent computers, independent entities that verify transactions. And they there's a mechanism, mathematical mechanism that they all have to agree on uh, on the truth, so to say, uh, on, the, on the status quo. And if one of them disagrees, that's okay, because all the other ones agree, so they just discard that one. So if one if one node is trying to be fraudulent, let's say, actually, uh, Lovis's wallet has one million Bitcoin in it, and all the other nodes are like, no, it doesn't, then, you know, it's discarded, and that's how they, uh, how they secure the network against fraud. And, you know, Bitcoin famously does this with proof of work, which means you have to invest lots of electrical energy solving these math problems, and uh, through that, creates this uh, consensus mechanism. Um, proof of stake is different where you are locking capital essentially. So you're you're putting your capital or your tokens at risk and you're saying, hey, I'm operating a node. Um, I'm risking my capitals, uh, my capital. So for example, I have 32 ETH, right, which is coincidentally the required amount for operating a full node on ETH um, soon. Um, and there's a simple program that I can run on my laptop. So no heavy industrial mining equipment, um, Bitcoin or you know, proof of work mining equipment required anymore. I can just run it on a lightweight computer. But mechanism is largely similar in the sense that my computer now is a node that verifies transactions. And if I cheat, if I say, oh, but again, you know, Lobos' wallet actually has a gazillion Ethereum in it. And then the rest of the network says, no, it doesn't. And you try to cheat. So then they will actually take away from that 32 ETH that was staked, right? That was put at risk. Um, so yeah, this is- I think It's mainly so, like
0: for uptime, right? If you don't if you don't yeah. validate transactions on time, things like that.
1: Right, and so, and of course, so Ethereum is not doing it. And so they're becoming the most, uh, or they're transitioning towards proof of stake. So they're becoming the most famous example, but uh, by no means, of, I don't think, Vitalik has not invented proof of stake, right? There was other chains that have been doing that um, since, since- Yeah, since I think it. so too, yeah. Um, but this idea of proof of stake is what introduced staking rewards, as, as far as I understand it. So that means people that were operating a node, they were providing value to the network, right? They were securing the network. Um, and so in return for their effort or for the risk they were taking with their capital, they got, they got paid right they got uh, they got a little bit of a reward very similar to the miners in the bitcoin network with proof of work right um so i don't know quantum was one that was already around 2017 i actually ran a full node for a little while and you got to make i think like four or five percent uh, per year and in staking rewards for operating that node um and then later that that thing kind of morphed into this thing where now it's like oh you got a token or you just got to stake it right like it doesn't really you're not really doing anything other than just locking it um for a time period but really all you're saying as the token holder is i promise not to sell it for x amount of time mm-hmm. and then protocols will often give you um a token in return which is you know you're not you know, it's very arguable if this really provides a value to the network um but if but it's of course it's an attractive promotional feature, I guess, um, you can
0: have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I guess, like, all of that will give you, even though it doesn't allow you to predict demand precisely, or, like, yeah. accurately, it does allow you to get a feeling for where demand for the token could come from, right? So if it gives you API access, yeah, that's, that's probably drives demand to a certain degree. If it gives you access to protocol revenue, like staking does, then... Um, that's also something right that that might get you to buy the token and hold it and uh, another thing could be voting there's lots of other things right so in DAOs or um, community type settings and I guess that's something that we haven't really gone into is this idea of that you could have a community that is governed by a token so it's essentially it's this like I I read this great article yesterday by this guy and it um he explained it with this like train club. He said like, oh, there's these uh, people, they're all train enthusiasts, right? So I like trains. And they like before tokens, they just met and they talked about it. Maybe they created a nice website. They hosted events, did that. They maybe even um, collected some money. But like with such a token, you could then introduce shares to this, right? So that certain people could have shares of this treasury and they could decide um how to use that treasury and that's something that's i think is really really interesting that's emerging is like how to use tokens to to govern and run create ownership in communities and yeah if you've listened to the past 17 episodes i think we've talked about a lot of that um yeah, well, and sure. uh, there's plenty of episodes with that um so yeah
1: yeah so i mean uh, so this goes this goes into social tokens and DAOs, and, yeah, uh, uh, governance structures, and that's so governance in itself is a huge. I mean, yeah, like Phil just said, we've talked about this many times. Um, it's an it's an emerging field. How do you use tokens to, and you know, incentivize or, or steer control? Not control, but um, I guess guide outcomes, right? Positive outcomes. If that's, you know, we, we don't know what it is, but we want it to be positive. And how can you use a, a token to bring that about? Super, super interesting. I think there's going to, like, a lot is going to happen there in the next, uh, whatever, yeah. any couple of decades. And, um, yeah, anybody that pretends to know the answers uh, at this time it is not truthful it's because it's all... <laughs> It's all—it's uh, like it's developing in front of our eyes, and it's fascinating. And it's, um, yeah, I highly recommend to get involved um, yourself. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's it's a deep it's a deep thing. Um. So,
0: I think we've got like one thing left. Yeah. Or do you see anything else that we're missing? now we got some uh, deeper concept to explore. Maybe we'll save them for another one. Um, yeah. But uh well we have the, the we'll last talk. Thing,
1: right? Like how do we how do we do this? Yeah. How do we tackle these? Yeah, how do topics? we do this?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That could be something. So I guess being the tokenomics DAO, being part of the tokenomics DAO, um, we spend a lot of time thinking about this and like evaluating different protocols, um, helping others designing them. So I think we've started some attempts or various attempts created like lots of content in this field. And yeah, we've, we've created this evaluation framework um, which at this stage is just a survey kind of tool that allows you to, or takes you through a lot of questions and a lot of these questions are cover a lot of that stuff that we've discussed today. You'll talk about like what, is the value the business actually creates and how is the token connected to that? Um, what's the supply of the token that that they're gonna introduce? All of that and we're gonna take, we're going through that in this survey-like format and letting the the, the person running, doing the survey answer these questions and rate them. And then based on that rating, we we just sum that up and, and do an average <laughs> to then create a score for a certain project. So I've done it for Ethereum, I posted it on Twitter um, with my answers to these questions, you can check it out. We can link it here. Um, so that's one of the things that we do. I guess we've also been working on a design framework, on like, because evaluation framework would be more something for investors, for people, retail or professional or institutional that would look at investing stuff into tokens. But then we also have um, been working on something that will help people design um, their own tokenomics with the knowledge that we've gained from various projects we've done um, and our own token that we've been thinking about. So we, yeah, we've been doing that. So that would include, um, yeah, like a step-by-step guide on how to actually design your token, what you have to think about, what mechanisms do you want to put in place, what utility you want to, you want to run on, like what what are the problems you're trying to solve with that? Yep. So yeah, we, we do have that. Um, we're working on it. It's not yet finished no,
1: um, it's not finished it's a work in progress uh, and first question is do you need do you even need a token <laughs> cuz yeah, um you should 90% keep... stop there so <laughs> yeah and that's good right cuz um uh many many uh, applications really don't need one um but it's not so much whether actually so you know the answer is of course deeper it's not so much whether or not you need it it's uh what's your value creation and then how can we connect a token to that in a smart way because this goes back again to the demand drivers right if you're if you don't have a demand driver in the the project that you're doing then you can still have a token but the the nominal value development of that token just might be disappointing (laughs) let's just say that yeah if you have a lot Uh, of revenue
0: that might just be enough you don't need anything else but if you like don't even have any revenue and you you don't have any demand drivers, then yeah, yeah, you might not be that lucky.
1: Yeah, then um, another thing that Tokenomics DAO does, and of course, this is where the whole uh, movement I wanna say started was um, Flow created this Tokenomics 101 uh, article format and has uh, written many of them himself. And so now we've actually made that part of how people join the DAO is we're asking New members to come in and write one of these uh, tokenomics 101 articles on a protocol and i guess our goal is to document all the protocols out there which is a is a big God, task yeah never be, never be done but we're you know basically the way it works is if you want to be part of tokenomics style um join our discord come to one of the orientation sessions they usually happen weekly uh, at least two or three times a month minimum um, and then explain this in more detail. But the long and the short of it, at the moment, come and write a tokenomics one article. We have a template for it, um, and that will, you know, our goal is to get that to a quality where we can publish it um, with your name on it, with the, with the DAO's name on it, and um, that'll basically be your entry into becoming a contributor in this DAO as well. And then, yeah. what do contributors do in this DAO? Well, they solve problems, right? So we have lots of uh, challenges to overcome. We're uh, still a young community, we're growing quickly. So with that, we always need people to come in and own certain um, topics right? that need improvement. Um, There's also opportunities to come in and consult for others, for clients, right? For for outside clients outside of the DAO. And we have some of these, we still always want more of those. And we are growing our consulting arm. Um, However, definitely don't just join the DAO to become a consultant, there's a lot more to do than that. And um, the whole thing kind of lives off of tokenomics related content, uh, just very much like this podcast episode you're listening to right now. So even if you do a consulting project, you'll still be asked to produce content about it, <laughs> to share your learnings with the community and, and the rest of the world.
0: Yeah, and keep you learning as well. I think that's also important. I got like, uh, every one of these articles that I write is just learn so much um, by figuring out what they've done, why they do it, and yeah, making up your mind about if that's a good or a bad thing. Anyway, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Cool.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I mean, it's a never-ending learning journey, and if you take if you take a week off and then you come back, you're like, whoa, the whole thing changed. <laughs> it's so because it moves so <laughs> Everything fast. Everything changed. So yeah. True. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Um, only one thing all I right. wanted to. So we we're also in the in the DAO. We're also working on a, a basics of tokenomics series. Um, so creating the goal is to create like 30 tweets. Or tweet format pieces of content we're like almost halfway there, um, but we're slowly starting to trickle those out on Twitter. So if you want more basics of tokenomics content keep an eye out on Twitter. If you want to jump in and help um, please do so join discord come to us, we have all this stuff ready to go and we need people to also want to grab this and make videos to post on social media and all these other things so please get involved. Um, any knowledge level, like I said, it starts with basics and it goes all the way to advanced. Um, but yeah, we're happy for anybody who wants to come and contribute.
0: Cool. Awesome.
1: Yeah, cool. Thank you, Flo. It was good. It was, it was Thank interesting. You. And see you soon.
0: Till next time. This podcast was not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly educational and is not investment advice or a solic- solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice. Talk to your accountant and do your own research. None of this is legal advice. This podcast is strictly educational. Talk to your lawyer.